Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. January is a time when many of us are trying new things or breaking old habits. That new thing could be challenging yourself to do veganuary. What's veganuary, you ask? It's a 30-day plant-based challenge that originated nearly 10 years ago in the United Kingdom and has taken on a life of its own. Today, we look at the growing popularity of plant-based lifestyles around the world. We talk about the different reasons why people choose to become vegan, the challenges and rewards that come with it, and how to go about it if vegan is something you're considering. Joining us now to help us walk through the history of Veganuary is Wendy Matthews. She's a U.S. director of the organization. Thanks for joining us, Wendy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. You can also join happy the January. Com- yeah, happy <laughs> Veganuary. You can also join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Wendy, tell me your story. How did you become involved with Veganuary? I'd love to. So, I grew up in upstate New York, pretty typical, you know, hunting and farming community. Um, I ate average American diet, lower middle class diet, a lot of hamburger helpers, spaghetti and meatballs, things like that. And then when I went away to college, I took a class in environmental studies. I started learning a bit more about our food system and some of the ways where it's broken. And I just started exploring some of the assumptions I'd grown up with that, you know, you could trust where your food came from. Um, And I went down every avenue really. So first I I learned about factory farming and I realized that was not something I wanted to support. I didn't like what it did to the planet or to animals. So I started buying cage-free and free range. And then I learned you couldn't necessarily always trust those labels. So I started working on a small local pig farm and it was the nicest farm I could possibly imagine. It was organic. It was small. The animals were well cared for. And I still saw some things there that I just couldn't unsee. And I realized that For me, I I wasn't really comfortable with the way that meat was produced at any level. And so I decided to get involved in the nonprofit world and start exploring alternatives. And for me, that looked like getting a job at a small animal sanctuary in upstate New York and really getting to connect with animals on a personal level and learn more about the reasons why someone would want to go vegan. And that was about 12 years ago. So I've really stuck with it and it's to me, the, you know, the best way to eat and it feels great. And um, I'm so glad to bring it to other people through my work with Veganuary. And like you said, you've stuck with it. And now you are working for the organization Veganuary. Can you explain to us what is, what is the organization about how, and how did you get into it? Veganuary is a global nonprofit organization. And we encourage people to try vegan in January, but also throughout the rest of the year. And the heart of our campaign is a 31-day plant-based pledge. So if you sign up to participate in Veganuary, you get a daily email from us with things like recipes, tips, meal plans, digital cookbooks, kind of everything you would need to give it a go. And it's all completely free. 
And in addition to the pledge, we also work with brands, restaurants, and retailers to help them launch and promote new vegan products in January, but also throughout the rest of the year. And last year, we had over 250 companies in the U.S. alone take part. And I got involved because working at the sanctuary really solidified for me what had previously been more of a philosophical idea. You know, I knew I didn't like the way that food was produced. I knew there had to be something better out there. And spending time with animals convinced me that we could do better. But in addition to helping educate people on the why, on the reasons why you might want to eat vegan, I found that I was really inspired by the how. I love cooking. I love sharing new foods with people and helping them make decisions that align their food with their values. So when I saw that Veganuary, which is a U.S. or excuse me, U.K. founded organization, was hiring in the U.S., I knew that it was the right role for me. And that was about three years ago. Well, I'm glad you took the job because otherwise we won't be chatting today. <laughs> I think I read from Veganuary that there's a theme for 2023, which is hope. Can you talk us about talk to us about that? Definitely. Yes. The theme this year is hope. And we found that, you know, a lot of people right now are feeling a little bit disenchanted, right? A little hopeless. Um, it's been a rough couple of years. And the tendency sometimes is to let hopelessness lead to apathy. You know, we use that anxiety sort of as an excuse to think that there's there's no hope and it's all doomed and maybe it's not worth taking action. And so we at Veganuary really wanted to invite people to choose action this January, to choose hope and to realize that you can take these small steps that can really help you feel empowered and make a difference on the issues that you care about. And we did a survey with YouGov at the beginning of the year that showed even the act of making a New Year's resolution makes you feel more hopeful about the future. And what's more, those who made the resolution to go vegan or vegetarian this new year are more hopeful than those who didn't. So we really think that January, when people are thinking about resolutions anyways, is the perfect time to try vegan. So hope is the theme for 2023. Um, what is Veganuary's general message? What, what do you hope people can take out from it? So we know that veganism has sometimes taken on the reputation of being quite insular and quite judgmental. And I think that that's put a lot of folks off from giving it a try because they think, well, if I don't get it perfect, I'll be called a hypocrite. You know, I'll be the, the vegan police will knock at my door. I'll be excised from this movement. And we want to be the welcoming, non-judgmental organization that says, you know, get your foot in the door, give it a try, commit to a month, and you'll start to see restaurant menus a little bit differently. You'll start to look at grocery store shelves a little bit differently. And overall, you can start making some healthier choices in your day-to-day -day life. And so you mentioned that you've been vegan for about 12 years. That's quite some time. Have you seen the vegan movement grow since you first started? What are some big changes or not that you've witnessed? It has grown more than I ever could have imagined when I first started. There's a joke that I like to tell sometimes, which is when I, when I first started going vegan, um, people would say, you know, did you hear about the fire at the vegan cheese factory? Everything melted but the cheese, right? Because that used to be the case. I mean, some of the products 12 years ago were not fantastic. And I was eating vegan for reasons other than taste at that time. You know, I was eating vegan for animals and for the planet. So that wasn't the most important thing to me. 
but so happy to say that <laughs> vegan cheese today is absolutely fabulous. I mean, you'd really be hard pressed to tell the difference. And I have friends who aren't vegan that will sometimes buy vegan cheese just because they like the way it tastes and they like to, you know, occasionally make a different choice. And the innovation that's happened in just about every sector of vegan products has been phenomenal. I mean, today a vegan's diet look can look very similar to the average American diet. I love that you mentioned that because so I can't really have too much dairy. So I've been using vegan cheese for many years and I totally agree. It, it has gone, through, you know, in the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, is this really good? But <laughs> today I totally agree. I, I love it. And I don't feel too terrible after I eat it. So that's that's a plus for me. Um, so um, what are some of the challenges you face in your role as a veganary? You you mentioned that, you know, it's it's been it's very different now from 12 years ago versus today. But what are some of the challenges that you have faced or are you still facing those challenges? There's certainly some challenges. You know, we founded in the UK in 2014 and Veganuary is absolutely a household name in the UK. You know, it's very widely accepted. You see it in major grocery stores like Asda and Tesco. And it's just been unstoppable. And the US isn't far behind, but there is still some stigma around the word vegan in the US. And so we're working really hard to help evaporate that. And the trend really is continuing to rise. You know, we see more celebrities participating in Veganuary, but also just going vegan in their day-to-day lives. Uh, A recent study with YouGov showed that 30% of Americans have said their perceptions of a plant-based diet has changed for the better in the last two years. So the tide really is turning. But I think that we've got some work to do in the U.S. where we have a very polarized political system and food system to help shifting that perception of veganism as being something that's desirable rather than something that's a sacrifice. And I'm assuming you've had a lot of conversations on this topic with many people, whether it's at work, with your friends or family. Uh, What has those conversations been like, especially since, you know, you've been doing this for 12 years? Are people more accepting? Are they more curious? Or what has that been like for you? I think curious is a great word. You know, I've noticed uh, people ask me what I do all the time, right? So I'll get in an Uber and someone will ask about my job. And so within five minutes, we're talking about veganism. And that used to be a real conversation killer. I mean, people would kind of shut down or feel judgmental or feel like they were being judged and or judgmental towards me. But now there's so much curiosity. You know, almost every time I mention that I work for Veganuary, the person I'm speaking with says, oh, Veganuary, I've heard of that. Um, I only drink almond milk and I've always thought maybe I would like to eat less meat. And there's just this incredible curiosity and openness to it now that is really inspiring to see. And what advice do you have for those trying to but struggling to eat plant-based, especially if that if they have health issues or budgetary issues stopping them from doing, making those choices? So I have a few pieces of advice that I give to anyone who's curious about making changes to their diet. First, I would say absolutely sign up for Veganuary. I know I'm biased, and of course I have to say that, but I really think support is key. You know, you don't have to do this alone. And a lot of the reason that people will end up not going vegan or, or you know, going back on it is because they don't have the proper support and resources to succeed. So when you sign up, you get meal plans, nutrition trackers, but also a budget meal plan. And I think that that is really helpful for folks who are concerned about budget or worried that vegan isn't affordable. And we worked really hard on that plan to make sure that every single meal 
comes in under $1.40 per serving, which is the average amount that a SNAP recipient receives. So we've got a lot of tips about how to manage your budget and how to get started. And then secondly, I would really encourage people to not think of it as an all or nothing commitment. You know, changing your entire diet is difficult and it's likely that you're going to have slip ups or make mistakes, but it's important not to use that as a reason to give up completely. You know, do your best every day, cut yourself some slack when you're not perfect and know that it does get easier. And what, what are some of the positive and negative impacts can a vegan diet have? Sure. So we look every year at the reasons that people sign up and the top reasons every single year are animals, environment, and health. And we really see positive impacts in all of those categories. So we do a survey every year about the health benefits that folks see even within those 31 days. And last year, 48% of participants said that their skin improved, 61% said they had more energy, 57% said they were in a better mood. So they've seen some really fantastic health benefits even in this short period of time. And then in terms of the planet, we see a really fantastic collective impact happening every year. Um, We had a Harvard researcher take a look at what we've achieved together as Veganuary participants and the savings, you know, on eutrophication and on carbon emissions are just astronomical and it's more than any of us could do alone. So there's such a positive collective impact. And then last year, Uh, In the same study, we found that Veganuary participants have collectively saved over 6.7 million animals from a lifetime of suffering. So a lot of really positive impacts. And, you know, you asked me negative as well. I I think the biggest risk is, you know, not getting the proper support, not getting the proper resources and feeling, you know, negative health benefits because you haven't been educated and and set up for success and, you know, gotten the right information about how to eat a healthy vegan diet. So again, I just can't emphasize signing up enough. So saving the world one vegan lifestyle at a time. Exactly. (laughs) Well, from Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Catherine Shen. You've been hearing from Wedding Matthews. She's the U.S. Director at Veganuary. I want to thank you so much, Wendy, for uh, sharing your story with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. Coming up next, we'll be talking with Candace Hutchins, creator of The Edgy Veg. She chronicles her vegan journey and shares vegan versions of your favorite classic dishes like mac and cheese and ice cream sandwiches. Are you thinking about going vegan or just curious about what the lifestyle is like? Join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. 
You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Being vegan can be edgy and cool. That's what Candace Hutchins, creator of The Edgy Veg, says. She joins us now to talk about how veganism can really be about enjoying comfort foods while breaking barriers when it comes to food education and ethics. Candace, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. You can also join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Candace, The Edgy Veg, tell me the story behind the name. Yeah. So I went vegan about 12 years ago um, as well as Wendy. Um, <laughs> That's the lucky number, it sounds like. It, it Right? <laughs> and at the time, I, you know, there wasn't a lot going on in the vegan space in terms of, you know, food that was accessible or available um, for the average person. Um, that wasn't interested in millet and kale. <laughs> um, a lot of the influencers online were eating a lot of raw food, um, a lot of like raw till four, um, freely the banana girl, those types of diets, and they were quite extreme. So I found that there was kind of this need in the space for, you know, cooking food firstly, <laughs> um, but also food that was kind of deemed unhealthy, if you know what I mean. So your traditional, like you had said in the intro, mac and cheeses um, and other sort of comfort foods that I grew up eating. I grew up uh, for half my life in Europe. So a lot of the food that I ate, I was mostly vegetarian growing up because my mother was very health conscious um, and she was vegetarian. But a lot of cheese, like, you know, lunch for us in Germany was cheese. Like that was the entire meal. <laughs> um, so I saw this need in the space for taking traditional recipes that I grew up with, that the average person grew up, you know, the, the type of recipes that are the typical standard American diet and veganizing them. And that was deemed edgy at the time. I would argue it's probably not very edgy anymore, <laughs> but at the time it definitely was. The edges have been softened a little bit, I think, um, with the better vegan cheeses, perhaps. Um, so I, I do want to say first, though, I was on your blog all day yesterday and just practically starving the entire time. So you know my plan for <laughs> after work today. But I, we will get to that in a second. But I do want to ask you, you know, what influenced your decision to go vegan? I know you touched about it a little bit earlier, but you know, what was did you have a catalyst moment or an experience that you're like, you know what, this is it? Yeah, I actually, like I had mentioned, my mother was very health conscious, um, not a great cook. <laughs> um, you know, she was a typical no oil, no sugar, no salt. Um, but she was mostly vegetarian because of her religion as well. And so I already had kind of my foot in the door to an alternative eating lifestyle. I say alternative with like quotes <laughs> around the word. Um, but I had a lot of skin conditions and migraines as a kid. And I went to a doctor and surprisingly at the time, I'm still shocked when I think about it, we had tried everything and the doctor had mentioned like, you know what, it might be dairy. Like, why don't you try cutting out dairy? And 
that worked really well. And so then they suggested like try other animal proteins that really helped my migraines went away. My, it, it was my skin condition. It was a lot of like psoriasis, rosacea type stuff. Um, I actually think looking back that it was probably an autoimmune response, um, but it went away and I was like, okay, <laughs> there's something going on here. And during that time, I had just moved to Toronto where I live. And I'd been on the subway and the Toronto Vegetarian Association has these great posters in the metro. And I saw one and it had a cat on one side and a pig on the other. And it said, why love one and eat another? And that was kind of the catalyst for me. I was like, okay, no, you know what? That's a valid point. I can't believe I never thought of that before. Let's do this thing. And that's, uh, you know... That's brought me to being here today, <laughs> doing what I do. Yeah, it's, no, that's amazing. And you spend over a decade building a brand centered around plant-based eating and your own experiences. Uh, what have been some of the challenges you faced along the way, both you know, perhaps personally and being on the internet? Because that is a whole different world out there. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Back in the day, uh, you know, all the mean comments were on YouTube. I think now all the mean comments are on TikTok and YouTube is a really nice space. Uh, so funnily enough, that's changed. Um, but I, yeah, a lot of the pushback when I first started this, because I wasn't traditionally or what you would see traditionally in the vegan community. Um, and while, you know, there are definitely some corners of the internet and in the vegan community that can still be quite hostile. Um, at the time, I was different. Um, I was not vegan enough for the vegans, and I was too vegan for the average person. So I had a lot of pushback that way. I was told I wasn't a real vegan. Um, so that was kind of disheartening, but also motivated me to kind of change what the community looked like. Um, because, you know, I would, I would hear from people like, oh, you know, I'm scared of the vegan police. Like, I don't want to do this thing. And I think it was discouraging people from trying, um, this all, this like all or nothing approach, this vegan purity approach. Um, and, you know, we worked really hard to kind of soften that and explain to people, you know, purity while that's, you know, kind of the goal <laughs> that's not realistic for a lot of people. And then personally, I mean, same thing. People thought I was on some weight loss diet. My parents were like, oh my gosh, you're going to become so thin. You know, are you getting enough protein? You know, those typical questions. Um, my my what well, my mother kind of, she was, you know, fine with the thing. She's mostly vegan now. Um, she kind of got it. She had a lot of vegan friends um, in her kind of like, religious, uh, like very health centered community that she was in, but my father like could not wrap his head around it. You know, a lot of like, I don't know what to cook for you. Are you going to bring your own food? What are you eating? And I think that was probably the main barrier and challenge was getting people on board and explaining, um, wait, <laughs> when were vegetables a bad thing? <laughs> like, aren't we, weren't you telling us as kids to eat more vegetables? And here I am. And it's a, you know, you're worried about my health. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so those are the main ones, definitely. That's such a that is such an interesting point. Um, I want to share. Krista on Facebook left us a couple of points. Um, she said it will be hard at first, but don't give up. Uh, find you can find replacements for everything. It's only expensive if you buy the fake vegan meats and frozen dinners. You'll learn to cook. And this fourth point is something we talked about earlier: is tofu isn't gross. I promise. Do you want to respond to that? <laughs> I mean, she's definitely, you know what? Every point that she's made is definitely correct. And uh, the tofu thing, man, 
it's like if you, <laughs> I always laugh because if you serve anyone unseasoned food, chances are it's going to be bland and they're, you know, not going to love it. And tofu is the same thing. There's so many amazing, amazing ways that you can prepare tofu. I mean, you can bread it and deep fry it. Who doesn't love something deep fried? Deep fried is always delicious. You're telling me you're not going to like a nice seasoned deep fried tofu. <laughs> um, but, you know, just the other day I had I grated up some tofu and made a um, like a tuna, like a plant-based tuna for um, a viral TikTok that's been going around. And, you know, it was spot on. And so... Yeah, definitely have to agree with her on the tofu thing. Just try it, season it. Uh, there's lots of great recipes out there. And yeah, going slow for me, going vegan was um, kind of the key here. I cut out obvious things first. I did meat first because that's how I spent most of my life, unless I was you know, visiting my father because my parents are divorced. Um, but then I cut out obvious dairy and obvious eggs. So things like milk and scrambled eggs. And then, and I took about three weeks to a month for each part of my journey. And then, you know, after that, I did less obvious. So cakes, um, breads, um, anything that had kind of dairy products or, or eggs in it. And then after that, I did my closet. And so going slow and, um, you know, taking my time was huge for my success in going vegan because you're disrupting your entire life. And if you kind of jump in a lot of, I mean, some people do, I guess, but if you jump in with both feet, uh, you know, and try to do it all at once, a lot of people fail, um, and they struggle and then they get frustrated and they give up. And so I always tell people go slow, you know, go to pace that works for you. Take it one thing in one day at a time and you'll be more successful. Definitely. I want to thank Krista for that comment and not to make this all about tofu, but I, I do come from an Asian family and we prepare tofu very differently. So I totally agree with you that it can be great. <laughs> um, so I also just wanted to touch a little bit on your experience um, being this influential content creator. Have you ever had to face culture wars when it comes to veganism? Oh my gosh. Yeah. All the time. I mean, like I had mentioned earlier, the, the vegan police, very much a thing. Although I don't hear much from them these days because I think the, the community is just so full with different types of people now. Um, but back in the day, it was really hard and it was disheartening. And I found it very frustrating to, you know, go to my YouTube channel and share this amazing recipe and have the majority of the people, you know, love it. But I feel like a lot of the time the negative voices are the loudest. And so, you know, going on there and then tearing it apart or talking about even other aspects of my lifestyle um, that were not related to veganism and tearing it apart. And, you know, like I said, not being vegan enough for the vegans and being too vegan for the average person. But these days, I think a lot of it, so many things are just tied to aside politically and veganism falls under that as well. I mean, I'm, I'm a very staunch uh, feminist and I find that that can be incredibly divisive. I find that the vegan community for a long time was very white. Um, you know, it was a lot of blonde, skinny, very fit vegan influencers. And, and now finally, you know, we have um, a lot more different, a lot of people people from different walks of life, different ethnicities, 
And, you know, we have these recipes from people from these cultures, not a white version of it. And I think that's been a discussion in the vegan community for a long time that it's been very whitewashed. Um, And yeah, that comes up quite a bit. And can you talk about your experience with different cultures in terms of veganism? Is that something that you've drawn inspiration from or learned from or what can you share? Absolutely. I mean, so many cultures, um, you know, the Asian cult, the different Asian cultures, for example, you know, a lot of uh, Indian as well, uh, you know, are have been for many years, mostly vegetarian or have had a huge variety of vegetarian or vegan cooking techniques, flavors, ways to prepare things. And I felt when I was going vegan, I was looking to a lot of different types of Asian cuisine and Indian cuisine, African cuisine uh, to grab inspiration for different cooking techniques and flavor profiles and really see how meals can be put together, not in the typical way. I, I, let's bring it back this way. I find the typical American diet, Canadian, I'm Canadian, Canadian as well. You know, you have your veg, a starch and a piece of protein. And I found when I started eating this way, I had to reimagine that plate. My plate didn't look like that anymore. And I would turn to curries, for example. You know, it's one dish, you have your rice and everything, your proteins are all in it and the sauce. And, and yeah, I had to reimagine what my plate looked like. And I turned to different cultures um, to get inspiration for that. And how do you approach people who are either not vegan or openly against veganism. Um, I mentioned earlier that I have a lot of friends who have gone vegan and I vicariously experienced that with them. And one of them said people get really defensive whenever they find out she's vegan. Is this something that you've experienced or why do you think that is? Yeah, absolutely. Not only the defensiveness, but also I did, (laughs) I made a TikTok about a year ago and um, I did like almost like a role play of me at a dinner party. And like the minute I bring up that I'm vegan, everyone wants to tell me how they tried veganism for a day (laughs) and it didn't work for them. And I find that people, it's almost like they get defensive because they know about factory farming. They know about the atrocities that happen to animals and you're almost making them face that and, and rethink their decisions to not make a change. And I, and I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I mean, you know, there's things that I've consumed um, even before I went vegan, let's say like Nestle chocolate, for example, um, that is harvested in a way that's unethical. And you're just kind of like, oh man, but it tastes really good, but this is really bad. And you have this inner argument with yourself. And I think that that's what's happening. And that's what's making people defensive because if you point out something Uh, that someone's been doing forever, they have a really hard time when faced with that cognitive dissonance. You know what I mean? So I find that that has a lot to do with it, which is why from my kind of standpoint, I like to go in with a really compassionate mindset. When I talk to people, when they get defensive, I really try not to, you know, fly off the handle or be rude or throw a bunch of really gruesome um, facts at them, I try to be very compassionate and and engage in the conversation with them in a way that kind of lets their guard down. So it sounds like education also plays a really big role as a part of your experience and, and your journey. So on sort of on that same plane, what are some misconceptions about veganism that you can share with us? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big one, I think it's funny, depending on who you talk to, the the whole pale and frail (laughs) (laughs) stereotype is still a thing. Um, And, you know, we eat very well. Vegans eat very well. Delicious food. Good food is good food. It's not just good for vegan food. I find a lot of people think, you know, yeah, that's okay for vegan food. No, good food is just good food. Um, I think still the stereotype that you can't get protein from a plant-based diet. You know, where do you get your protein? We all hear this. Um, Huge misconception. (laughs) Tofu alone. (laughs) We keep going back to tofu. Um, And that, you know, we're all angry and militant. And, you know, listen, atrocities deserve a level of anger for sure. But I'm also not spending my days scouring the internet hate posting. Um, I find that, you know, that can get you in a really difficult mindset and a really angry one and a very negative one. Um, So, you know, just thinking that we're all, you know, angry all the time. I live a very happy life. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot of (laughs) uh, comedy on my my, uh, content that I put out and it can be a really happy and joyous place. And you've been doing this for over a decade as well. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the plant-based community since you went vegan? A lot more uh, acceptance and allowing more people into the community. I find it's opened up a lot. Um, A lot of people that don't or can't, for whatever personal reasons, can't go vegan, but are very open to like, okay, so Monday to Friday, I'm eating only plant-based. Or, you know, up until dinner time, I eat plant-based and all of that makes a huge difference. I mean, any change, that whole reducitarian lifestyle, you know, it's not vegan, it's not plant-based, but it makes a huge difference in the world, whether it's for the animals or whether it's for the planet. And I think that people are becoming a lot more accepting of that. And um, yeah, the, the other thing is accessibility. When I went vegan 12 years ago, I couldn't go to a grocery store and have 12 different milks staring back at me or 15 different types of really delicious vegan cheeses or go to any fast food place and have the option for an impossible burger. That just didn't exist. So I think accessibility has been a huge change and a huge factor um, for the plant-based community. Well, and very much like the plant-based community changes you've mentioned, uh, social media has also gone through a lot of changes over the last decade or so. Uh, What impact has that platform had on the way you create content now? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it gets my content in front of more eyeballs, Um, even the eyeballs that don't want to see it, (laughs) which often will, uh, you know, result in pretty ridiculous comments. But a lot of those comments end up being topics of conversation. And I can take those comments and educate and create videos or blog posts around that. Um, But yeah, like I said, accessibility, getting more recipes in front of people's eyeballs, educating um, and, and, you know, information. It's a huge thing. Social media is great for information and educating. You know, it's terrible for other things, but for that, it's great. I mean, the amount of people that follow me, for example, to use my own experience, Um, kind of as the example here, a lot of people that follow me aren't 100% vegan, but they love the content. They love the recipes. They love watching my dogs. And so that kind of brings them in. And I get a lot of comments saying, you know, I am 
you know, on Monday to Friday vegan now. And this is so exciting. And thank you for teaching me, you know, all the different ways that I can very easily take my recipes and swap out just a couple of things. Bolognese, for example, let's use a super easy example of bolognese. I had no idea that you could just, you know, swap in impossible beef or, or beyond meat. And I think that those are the simple things that once you've been vegan for a really long time, you kind of forget is not obvious to everyone. And I think social media is very helpful with that. We got about a minute left, but I do want to ask real quick that we we I get a gist from both of these conversations that, you know, this is a non-judgmental space and, and having people take very small steps if this is something that they want to do. So do you have advice for people who have made eating more plant based um, meals as part of their New Year's resolution? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, um, you know, go slow if, if you need to. No one's here to judge you. But I guess my biggest piece of advice for people is take recipes that you love. And just swap out those ingredients with plant-based alternatives. Listen, if you didn't like kale before you went vegan, you're not going to love it now. Don't try to go with what you think a vegan eats. Go with what you love to eat, just the vegan version of it. Thank you so much for that. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Catherine Shen. That was Candace Hutchins, creator of The Edgy Veg. She's been sharing her vegan journey with us. Thank you so much for letting us spotlight your experience here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Coming up, we'll hear from a Connecticut resident who, uh, whose cow friend changed her sp- perspective on food. You can also join the conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Calvin Shen. We've been talking about different reasons why people choose to go vegan. Now we have Mackenzie Sullivan with us. She's the co-founder of Ellie Mae Farm Sanctuary and Stores, and she's here to talk about her life-changing experience working with cows when she was a college student. Mackenzie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Kat. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the I love the enthusiasm and excitement. And you can join the conversation too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Mackenzie, Ellie Mae is one of your cows and you actually met her in a college course. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I was joining the animal science um, courses at the University of Connecticut. And um, I was vegetarian at the time. I actually went vegetarian um, for a, you know, January 1st goal of mine when I was 13 and I continued on. Um, And so when I met her, um, you know, as a college student, I had this idea of, oh, she's a beef cow. You know, I don't eat her, but everybody else, um, you know, in my courses kind of had the idea of farm animals are for food. Um, so I already kind of walked in with a different perspective. And um, so with Ellie May, I was able to take our relationship really slow, um, especially because, you know, she didn't have a reason to really um, trust humans or um, to really understand what our relationship was going to look like uh, as a human to a cow. Um, so Ellie May became my best friend really quickly. I was down at the barns with her um, as often as I could be. Um, and just spending the time with her, I got to learn so much from her. Um, they are truly, cows are truly grass puppies. I know people love to say that, but they really are. They're 
humongous dogs. Um, they wag their tails. Um, you know, they let the, let you know when they're happy, when they're upset. Um, they love treats. They just want to cuddle. <laughs> um, and they run around and they play with each other, just like, you know, your typical pets do. Um, so that's where that kind of all started was meeting Ellie Mae and, and just learning directly from her um, how a farm animal would you know, interact with a human and that it's different. You know, it's, it's not what people think. It's not just, um, you know, Ellie Mae as a food item. Um, you know, she wants to be here. She wants to live. She's just like my dog. And can you share with us your experience going vegan? Definitely. Um, so I did not go vegan right away when I met Ellie Mae. Um, I still had the perception that, um, you know, I didn't eat meat at the time. Um, but the byproducts of animals, you know, I didn't see a problem with it. Um, and so when I really got to learn a little bit more was um, when farm sanctuaries came to light in my life, which was um, shortly after I graduated from UConn. Um, and so with Ellie May, she had gone to live at a, a different farm. Um, she was sold from UConn. And so I continued, you know, continued to see her almost every weekend um, for about three years. Um, but in 2018, after I graduated, um, I, you know, with social media and things like that, uh, my eyes opened to the world of, you know, veganism and um, farm sanctuaries and the fact that people, you know, put a mission out there to rescue farmed animals, to allow them to live the way they should be, you know, to allow them to live their natural lives. Um, and so that's really where I dove in. It kind of felt like a perfect, um, you know, path for me because I knew somehow in my life I'd have to get Ellie Mae back. Um, and I couldn't put her in my backyard um, in a suburban area. Um, and so for me, um, really getting to connect with other um, sanctuary owners and getting to see their experiences for, like via social media, um, I realized that, you know, we can make this happen. Um, and so that's where I really dove in and realized that, um, you know, not all farmed animals, um, you know, are here just for meat. You know, they're, they're not being treated properly. Um, for their byproducts as well, um, you know, specifically dairy cows. And, um, you know, I learned a lot about um, dairy and I was like, oh, there's no way I could ever go vegan since as a vegetarian, I felt like the only thing I really ate was cheese. Um, but learning what those cows go through as dairy cows, um, you know, having their, their babies ripped from them so that they can produce milk um, for humans, um, you know, that is something that I couldn't unlearn. I couldn't unsee that information. And, um, you know, it's a misconception. I think I probably thought at some point that dairy cows just produce milk, but, you know, they don't just produce milk. They have to be pregnant. They have to give birth to a, a child, just like a human does to be able to produce that milk for, you know, now human consumption instead of for giving that to their baby, which it's meant for. Um, so that was really the final connection for me to realize I can't do byproducts of animals either. Um, you know, these animals are also being treated poorly, not just being, you know, slaughtered for their meat, but also um, other reasons um, later on in their lives once we kind of use and abuse them. So I definitely want to talk more about your various experiences working in farms, but I also want to share a comment from Bridget from Massachusetts who asks, what about farmers that are doing the right thing? There are examples of responsible livestock agriculture. Can you respond to that, Mackenzie? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, and I don't disagree necessarily. Um, you know, I've met a lot of farmers that, you know, we've purchased hay from or have received, um, you know, animals from. 
um, you know, they, they do have, um, you know, a compassionate side to them. I do truly think that they care for their animals, um, mostly because, you know, it's a way for them to, um, you know, have an income and to live their lives. Um, but that's also all they've ever known. Um, and so at the end of the day, with those farmers, um, unfortunately, those animals are going to be produced and then, uh, you know, eventually slaughtered, including dairy animals, um, you know, for human consumption. Um, and so that's really where I think my main point is, is, is that animals want to live just like we do. Um, and if you care for your dogs and your cats, um, you know, you should think of it in a light where, you know, dogs and, and cows are exactly the same. You know, they don't want to be murdered. They don't want to have their babies ripped away from them. They want to live with their families. Um, you know, they don't want to be enforceably pregnated. Um, I know it's a bit of a dark topic that I'm diving into, but, um, you know, they just want to be um, here on the planet with the rest of us. Um, they truly do not want to be farmed. Um, they just want to hang out in pastures and, um, you know, be, be cows. Um, I think that's, you know, the, the main point. And, um, you know, I know that farmers do have compassion. I've seen it myself. Um, but, you know, they just, you know, have to think of things a little bit differently and they've grown up most likely that way. And so, you know, we're here to kind of give people the perception as to, you know, animals want to live. They don't want to be on their, you know, on your plates. Um, they want to live out their natural lives the way that all animals, including human animals, um, want to. So I think that's a good response to, you know, farmers in, in general. And so, you know, you've been doing this for a while and I'm wondering, you know, has there been any hurdles in Connecticut in terms of working for a sanctuary or are there any challenges that you faced in that in that sort of perspective? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've, I've come from a farm town. Um, I used to joke that, you know, there are more cows than people in our town at one point. Um, and so I got to experience, you know, seeing farms around me, um, but I did not grow up on a farm. Um, one of the main challenges that we've found is um, just with other farmers around us is um, they don't understand why, you know, why do you have 13 cows um, and you're just having them as your pets? You know, they don't understand that. It's not a concept that they can, you know, kind of understand. They feed their animals so that they can make income later down the line. Um, whereas for us, you know, we are taking care of them, you know, we're providing vet care, et cetera, feeding them. Um, but there's no profit in return for, for us specifically. Um, and so I think, you know, getting people to really realize that we're here to kind of, um, you know, make a bit of a disruption to what people think of as normal. Um, and so especially when we were first looking for farmland, um, you know, it's, it's expensive in Connecticut. Um, and so we, as a nonprofit, we wanted to find something um, that was somewhat affordable. And so we got really lucky as to where we are now, but um, we are located in stores and we're five minutes from UConn's campus. And so when I was a student at UConn, um, you know, animal science is a huge program there. And they have farms, they have dairy cows, they have beef cows, they've got, you know, pigs and chickens, et cetera. Um, and so we want to kind of influence those people, those, you know, students that um, are in animal science, um, that it doesn't just have to be um, for, you know, farmed animals that they farm, that they have to then, you know, produce for humans. Um, we just kind of want to show people that, you know, have some more compassion, realize that these animals do want to live, 
Um, and so I think that's one of the one of the bigger hurdles that we've had to surpass in Connecticut specifically. Um, and then other just, you know, getting people to understand what the word veganism means, um, you know, and how to become vegan if they're interested um, and allowing them to kind of make their connections on their own as to um, why they should be vegan. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, you've been listening to Mackenzie Sullivan, co-founder of Ellie Mae Farm Sanctuary and Stores. Mackenzie, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, Kat. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show was produced by Anya Grodowski. Where We Live is produced by Tess Terrible and Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening.